Uh, we're getting into the great white throne of judgment. I found this interesting list from the CIA World Fat Fact Book, and it is a list of the longest average life expectancy by country. <clears throat> now, the top four countries are number one, Monaco, which they rate as you, you live, the people at, generally from birth live till 89.40 years old. Uh, number two is Singapore, 86.19 years old. Uh, Macau, 84.81 years old, and Japan, of course Japan's in there, right, 84.65 years old. So that's the top four countries. Now other countries in this list was like number 10, Israel was 83.1. South Korea was uh, number 15 at 82.78 years old. The United Kingdom came in 38 uh, at 81.30 years old, the United States, if you're wondering, was number 46 in this list at 80.43 years old. China was 107 in the list, number 107, 76.36, and the Philippines was 169 at 70 years old, 70.32 years old. But last on the list, Number 227 was Afghanistan, which is 53.25 years old. Crazy. Well, no matter what the life expectancy of uh, different countries are in general, the people there, there's one thing for sure we know, is that we will all leave this earth one day. We know that for sure. I mean, if not in the raptures I spoke about, for sure in death when we die. Dr. D. Martin Lloyd-Jones once said, the moment you come into this world, you are beginning to go out of it. I like that, yeah? Yeah, as soon as we're born, we're basically heading toward that day of death. So we know that death is going to come to every person who's born, who lives on this earth. And then what? Then what happens? What happens to us. What happens to our soul? Well, we know that Christians will go on to be with the Lord, right? To be absent from the body uh, is to be present with the Lord. But what about those who have rejected Jesus and his atonement? Well, they will come to face to face with God. There will be a day when they come face to face with God and sadly receive the judgment for their sins. And that is what we will see today in our study in the book of Revelation. And that is why I titled it, The Great White Throne of Judgment. That's what we're coming to, that judgment day, so to speak, when every unbeliever in the whole world who's ever lived will come face to face and stand before God. Again, we're going to be finishing this chapter, Revelation chapter 20, from 11 through 15 today. And we're going to see three things here. I've broken up our passage into three parts, and this is our outline. Number one, the supreme court of God. Number two, the summons of all the dead. And number three, the sentence to the final hell. So let's begin here. Number one in our outline, the supreme court of God. The supreme court of God. We're going to be looking only at verse 11 here. Uh, in Revelation chapter 20 in this section. So if you're taking notes, you can make uh, uh, write that down. Verse 11, 
for the supreme court of God. And, and that's really the idea of what we're seeing overall. Now take a look here. Revelation chapter 20 verse 11. It says, Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. So we'll stop right there in this section. Now John begins writing here what happens next. After the thousand year reign of Christ, after the millennium, we've been mentioning that in the past two weeks, uh, since we got into chapter 20, if you remember. Uh, chapter 19, Jesus came at the end of the tribulation uh, to Armageddon, that last battle, which wasn't really a battle, but he just spoke, right? And the armies were defeated, destroyed, and then he set up his rule and reign on the earth for a thousand years. But last week we saw, if you remember last time, in that second part of chapter 20, at the end of millennium, Satan was released. Right? And he mustered up an army of people to come against Jesus once again, but failed as they marched on Jerusalem. If you missed that, you can grab the podcast or see our, our archive video on our YouTube channel. So after all that, at, this is we're still at the end of the millennium, the end of the thousand years now. John now writes what he sees, what happens next in the future destiny of things. So he sees here in verse 11, he says, Then I saw, after the millennium, after the thousand years, after Satan is, is defeated and thrown into the lake of fire, he saw a great white throne. Now, this is really the ultimate judgment of God. This is the place. This is what we're moving into. The word great here that we see in verse 11, it really speaks of how huge this throne is, uh, This how 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 huge in the sense of its majesty uh, that it is it really speaks of of this throne this seat basically is really the supreme authority of all things over all things so that's why he writes great and it's white white well really speaks of how pure and holy how righteous this is and so the verdict that is going to be handed out here in this judgment is going to be just it will be right it will be righteous in that way and the throne this great white throne well none other than that this is god's throne right it, it is god's throne it's the seat of sovereign rule where God rules, and it's the seat where God will judge over all things and be the judge in this. And so can you imagine uh, the camera panning into this courtroom, so to speak, panning into God's divine courtroom, and then zooming in on the great white throne of God? And not only do we see the throne, but the camera moves up, and John sees him, verse 11, who is seated on it. And who is that? This is God. This is his throne. He's the judge. Now, understand, though, the Heavenly Father shares the throne together with the Son. Sitting here is none other than Jesus Christ. So as we come into this supreme, the supreme court of God, we see God in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ as the appointed judge sitting there. And I tell you this because Jesus said in John 5.22, For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son. 
So here's Jesus here, sitting on a throne at the great white throne of judgment, the place where all unbelievers will be judged for their sins. Now, take note here. This is not what we call the Bema seat. Uh, the Greek word bima. It's not the bima seat of Christ where Christians are evaluated and rewarded according to how they lived and served the Lord. That's in 2 Corinthians 5.10. Sin has already been dealt with, right? Under the cross, under the blood of Christ for those who put their faith in Jesus and, and, and his work on the cross. So this is not for Christians here. This is not that bima seat. The bima, the Greek word bima is that podium, that platform where the winners of the games will go and receive their reward. So when Paul talks about the beam of seat of Christ, the beam of judgment of Christ, that is back in 2 Corinthians 5.10, and it's about when Christians, when believers are evaluated and rewarded for how they served and how they lived for God. But here, this is, as we see in verse 11, this is the great white throne, and it's about the final judgment of believers who stand before God. Now, just to give you a little bit of an idea of all this, there is a timeline, just as, uh, in a simple sense, of, of three judgments that I could give you here. There's a timeline of judgments. And, and number one, most, most people feel that beam of seat that I just spoke about happens right after the rapture. Some people say it happens later or during the trip. But a lot, a lot of people feel like it happens right after the church is raptured up and then as we're received and on everything, uh, there's going to be the official ceremony of that Bema seat where we're rewarded. And I tend to lean toward that way because we saw in Revelation 4 that the, the elders of the, the church, right, they, ca- they were casting their crowns before God, before his throne. So I feel like, well, they already got that crown, that reward. And so it must happen then right after the rapture. So the first judgment, so to speak, is that bema seat of Christians, the evaluation, and that happens right after the rapture. Then at the end of the tribulation comes the judgment of the sheep and goats. Remember we talked about that. At the end of the 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 tribulation right before the millennium when Jesus returns, right? Those who are alive that weren't destroyed in in Armageddon, those who have taken the mark, who do not believe in Christ, they are the goats and the sheep is the believers, the Jewish believers, 144,000 and any, if any, tribulation saints are even left alive, they are separated from the goats and the goats are sent to that eternal destruction Jesus talked about. And the rest who are physically alive go on into the millennium. So that's like the second judgment at the end of the tribulation before the millennium. But now we come to the third judgment, and this is the great white throne, which happens at the end of the millennium, as we're reading here, right in our passage. Okay, so we're at the end of the thousand-year reign of Christ. God's court is in session. And then we read in verse 11, from his presence, right in the middle, earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. So at the appearance of the supreme judge of the Lord Jesus Christ, from his presence, earth and sky are gone. Poetically, it's just talking about the earth and the universe just are gone. They're, they're, they, they're destroyed. They're, they disappear. And then there was no place, poetically again, uh, 
John is writing, there was no place found for them. They could not hide, basically, from God's holy presence who's sitting on the seat of judgment. And what I want to tell you, in other words, the earth and the whole universe will be destroyed by the Lord. It will all burn up. The earth, the universe, everything will burn all up. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24, 35, uh, heaven and earth will pass away. No, but not my word, right? He said his word will stay forever. But he was talking about this moment, this time when court is in session, when Jesus is sitting on the throne, before the unbelievers are, are brought forth. Poof, the earth and the universe is gone. Now when Jesus uh, said heaven in Matthew 24, 35, and even here in our passage, uh, the word heaven is a Greek word, that is oranois, oranois. And it is used for sky. So that's why in the ESV it's translated as sky, or we talk about our atmosphere in that way. Or it can be used as the whole universe also. And so I feel that this is really everything, the earth, the universe, everything. Because Second Peter 3.12, uh, Peter writes, the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies like stars will melt as they burn so i look at this as not just the earth but the whole universe as we know it the whole physical universe is burned up it's just gone i i can imagine from the great white throne right god's pure white Glorious, holy energy goes out and burns up the earth, the whole universe. And, and really what's left is there, this scene in God's throne or this courtroom. So think about this. The very atomic structure of the earth is gone. All the elements are vaporized. All matter dissolved, burned, and nothing physical in creation is left at all. No wonder, I, I remember years ago, we used to say, well, it's all going to burn, right? <laughs> yeah. To not make idols of things of this earth or our material things because it's all going to burn and this is it. It's all going to burn. It's going to be gone. And, and what will be left is really God, us, and we'll see in a moment, the un unbelievers. So you may be wondering, well, okay, why must this be? In, our, in the next chapter, we're going to see that there is a new heaven and a new earth, and we'll talk about that when we come. But why is this? Well, maybe you're wondering, what, why? What's going on? Well, let me give you two things. Number one is to prepare. This was all done to prepare for a new heaven and new earth. That's coming in chapter 21. See, we're heading into, after this, in chapter 21, we're heading into this eternal state. It's a whole new thing. That's all I can say. It's different than how we're living today in this physical world with, with atoms and you know uh, molecules and all of that. It's all totally different. We're heading into this eternal kind of realm that's going to be really hard to understand, but we're going to talk about it next time. So first of all, this was all to prepare us heading in this eternal state. Secondly, this was done... You know what? To finally remove any hint of the old 
world in the old, calling it old, you know, going into the eternal universe. See, even though, as we saw last time, the earth has been reshaped, restored after the tribulation for the millennium, it is still tainted with some of the effects of the fall. In particular, I believe, that people are still going to die. People have been living, right? I mean, they'll live long, right? I, I read you that verse in Isaiah that talked about uh, basically to be 100 years old, you know, is young. Yeah. So people are going to live a long time, but still, people are still going to die, which is really what? A consequence of sin, right? That came in that way. So any hint, any tainting uh, the, from the effects of the fall is going to be all just destroyed, burned up, crumpled up like a piece of paper, thrown away in a whole new eternal state in righteousness and holiness is going to come into being. So that's why the earth fled, the universe fled, the sky fled. Donald Jean Barnhouse wrote, it is not that they are to be purified and rehabilitated. Uh, uh, that's the, the earth or the universe. But he goes on to say, but that the reverse of creation is to take place. They are to be uncreated. And I like that thought. He actually goes on his commentary talking about by God's word, everything came into being. And by God's word, everything's going to burn up and disappear. So think about this. What's happening is this uncreation. I like that way of thinking about that. So when the Supreme Court of God comes into session, the domain of sin will finally end with the destruction of the tainted world and the judgment of unbelievers. That's really what we're being shown here. This is what God wants us to understand as we get into verse 11, as we get into this section, that this whole domain of sin will finally end. It'll be done. Paul, finally, with that burning up of the, of the tainted world and then the judgment of uh, and also the judgment of unbelievers, which we'll look into detail next. You know, I was thinking how uh, my dad lately, or I guess in the past years, um, as I know he's been getting older, um, there he's been like taking, he has an iPhone now, which is cool. He's been taking pictures of old photographs, you know, and then texting it to my wife and I. It's funny to see pictures, you know, of, of them when they were young, when they first got married, or when I was a baby, or when, you know, and there was pictures of Chris and I, and we, we met in high school, at the end of high school, right? And there's pictures of us there, and, and it's kind of like, whoa, who's that guy, you know, kind of thing. And it's, it's fun, though. It's, it's kind of fun seeing those things. And you know what? The funniest thing to me is, is like, this is like, what, this is like a different age when you look at the clothes, right? Now, you guys older, you know, maybe think, oh, yeah, I remember. Oh, look at those bell bottoms, right? Right? Maybe they're a little bit coming in. Look at, I don't know if you guys ever had a leisure suit, you know, <laughs> kind of thing. You know, I remember having to wear something for dances and stuff. But, but yeah, every, it's so funny to look at that. Like, wow, what, look, that, that's so crazy. But the thing I was thinking about that really gets me, especially us guys, is back then the really short shorts. I can't believe I wore that. Today it's like, oh, that would be so strange, right? Those real short shorts. I'm thinking, what? what? That's crazy, 
I can't believe, you know, that that was the style. And today I would not be caught dead wearing that, yeah? Why? Because we live in a different age. If you saw a guy wearing that, you'd be kind of, oh, that is gross. Something's wrong with you, yeah? Right? But think about that. That is like what we see here. As God moves everything into this whole new eternal state, something is, it's hard for us to even conceive, but it's this new eternal world. Yeah, It's not a physical world that's, that's spinning and dying and you know time. There's no time. Think about that. Yeah, I don't think there's going to be time, but it's this whole new age. So the old has to go. Yeah, the, the old stuff doesn't work anymore. And it doesn't fit anymore. The old uh, sin-tainted tainted world will not do. And the sin of sinners really need to be officially dealt with. That's the idea. As we move into this new age, that God moves us into this new age. You know, I was thinking too, this is similar, I think, on how God wants us to grow, you guys. To mature spiritually. Yeah? I think this is similar. I was thinking about how God wants us to grow and move on from our old life. Yeah? The old fleshly life before we were saved. We must not hang on to those old clothes anymore. I hope you guys don't have those short shorts still in your closet. Yeah. Yeah. No, we gotta let it go. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Just like our old sinful life that Jesus has freed us from, saved us from, and he's given us a new life, new clothes, so to speak, Paul says, put on yeah, that new creation, the new life. That's what we need to do and move on, the new you in Jesus Christ. So understand that today. One day, this whole world, what we know, how we perceive things, what, you know, what we see in this physical universe is going to be gone. It's going to be like the old styles, you know, of long ago. Because God's going to bring us into a new eternal age. But spiritually today, we need to go on and put on the new clothes. All right. So we begin here in the great white throne of judgment. We see the supreme court of God really come into session. And now number two in our outline, the summons of all the dead. The summons of all the dead. Here we're going to cover verses 12 and 13. And let's take a look at both those verses. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and books were open. Then another book was open, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged by what was written in the books, according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead uh, who were in them, and they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. So you see, John sees now, all of a sudden, in this scene, and there's Jesus on the throne, yeah, great white throne, the earth, uh, the universe is gone and our focus is on this court. The court is in session. And then G, uh, John sees the dead. What is that? All unbelievers who have died throughout time. That's who John sees. Those who died in past ages, those who died at the uh, end of the tribulation, those who died at the end of millennium, those who died unbelievers during the tribulation. They're all gathered here. Note that um, maybe you're wondering, well, what happened to, there was probably, 
uh, physical living believers at the end of the millennium who believed in Jesus and were saved, right? What happened to them? Um, there's nothing really specifically said, but I would think that they were probably translated into their glorified bodies like Enoch, walk with God, and he was, or Elijah, you know, went up in that chariot of fire, or, or the church who was raptured and received their glorified bodies. Because there's no more earth. <laughs> Everything's gone. This is only what is there right at this moment. So uh, I believe the believers at the end of the millennium, they have their glorified bodies, and they're, they're part of the whole church with us. So the dead believers are gathered together. Notice this is great and small. In other words, all levels of society. You know, whether rich or poor, famous or not, whoever, everyone, no one's left out. All unbelievers are here uh, standing, it says, before the throne. Can you imagine that moment? Yeah. These guys standing before God, standing before Jesus Christ. So these guys have been summoned to the court of God, and basically this is their day in court. Notice, and you will see, in our passage, there's no prosecutor, there's no defense, there's no witnesses, there's no jury, no court reporter, no, no bailiff, nothing. They're just there, alone, before God. So the great white throne of judgment will basically be when each pers person or unbeliever stands before God, alone before God. But put in your mind the, 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 that this is this is the fact that I've been telling you, but I just want to stop and make sure you know this, because some people still get this mixed up. The great white throne is for unbelievers who rejected Jesus, not believers. And we're going to see this unfold. Know that for believers, again, we're covered by Christ's blood, right? Romans 8.1, therefore there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Uh, John 5.24, we don't become under this judgment. But for unbelievers who rejected Jesus and his atonement, they are, John 3.18, condemned already. And so that really goes along with Hebrews 9.27, it is appointed for man to die once and after that, comes judgment. That's this moment right here. So John sees now in verse 12, he sees not only individual believers, unbelievers, I'm sorry, unbelievers standing there, but he also sees books that were open. Notice plural books, and they're open. Now, there's a lot of speculation on what exactly the books are. I, I think as we look at this section, uh, there's going to be, a, we know for sure at least two books are there, and there might be some other books that people have speculated. So for me, honestly, I think there's just two books, <laughs> but you can study this on your own. Um, but why books? Why plurals? Yeah, and remember back then, ancient times are probably scrolls, you know, and they called those books, but there's a whole bunch of these, right? Um, well, verse 12 tells us, tells us about these books that were open. Yeah, It tells us that, look how it says uh, toward the end of verse 12, and the dead were judged by what was written in the books. So the books are the evidence against the unbelievers standing there before God in the court here. So this is the evidence. They're going to be judged against what's inside here. So what's recorded in the books? Well, look at the end of verse 12. 
according to what they had done. So I believe the books are the record of their sins, the record of their wrongs, the record of their actions, the record of the way they lived their life, of their works, so to speak. And I was thinking, well, no wonder there's so many books, because I guess I'm, with my life, there'll be a lot of books. Yeah. But there's books for every person. Yeah. And so there's a lot of books there, because this is the record of every sin and wrong on each person. So the first book, or the books, entered into evidence is the record of every wrong on each person. Now understand this, God holds to a high standard, right? Jesus said in Matthew 5, 4, you must be perfect as your Heavenly Father is perfect. And we know that God sees everything. He can see into our heart, our mind, everything, right? Our motives. Uh, Luke 8, 17 says, For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. And I believe this is the moment where those things will come to light. When these books are open, when this evidence is given against the unbeliever person uh, in judgment in what he's done according to his work. So it will all be exposed right here at the great white throne judgment. Now that's the first book. There's a second book mentioned here in verse 12. It says, Then another book was opened right in the middle, which is the book of life. And what is that? Well, we know that, we understand that to be a book of a list of everyone who is saved. Later we're going to see that in uh, verse 15, if anyone's name was not found written in a book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So it's a, a roster. It's a registration of every, the name of every person who is saved in Jesus, those who have eternal life. Now, Really, this coincides with like it was in the ancient cities back then. There's actually a registry of, of the citizens of that particular place. So here, this book of life is a registry of the citizens of heaven. And that book is open because if you're not there, what? You're condemned. You're not part of heaven's uh, uh, roster. Now, some... Uh, uh, speculate and they say it could be also and they talk about get into they get into the detail of the book of life that that actually the book of life is is those who who have life or eternal life and it also includes like every baby that is conceived we understand right from david that um, babies you know remember his baby from bathsheba uh, got sick and died, but he said he, he's going to be, he's going to see that baby in heaven, right? So from that we understand that children be f under the age of accountability will will be in heaven, uh, and when they reach the age of uh, accountability, that's when you know you got to receive Christ, right? Well, it could be that uh, there every child, every baby is in the book, but then when they reach that age of accountability and they sin then their name, as we read in Scripture, blotted out yeah, of, the, uh, of this book of life. But if they accept Jesus in his atonement, and his atonement, then once again their name is back in that roster. Uh, I don't know. Um, I, I take it sim simply that, well, it's just the name of those who are saved, but it could be. But could you imagine if they opened the book of life, 
And, and, and the final evidence that presented against these unbelievers after their sinful deeds are exposed is that their name had been crossed out or you know, from the book of life. That they never received Jesus. That they never, uh, uh, because of their ultimate rejection of Jesus. Could be. But these books are open in evidence against the unbelievers in this judgment. So then in verse 13 now, interesting thing happens. Verse 13. John adds where these dead believers were summoned from. All right. So he throws in here in verse 13. And the sea gave up the dead. So what, what is that? Well, those who were buried in, in the ocean, out in the sea, they came up. And also death, he says. Those who had died in, uh, uh, I'm assuming these are those who were buried in the ground. Maybe even those who were cremated and sprinkled over land and not in the ocean. It seems that perhaps right before the earth is all dissolved, that the bodies... The, the bodies of these unbelievers are reconstituted. I know many are already dust, yeah, but their bodies are, are reconstituted and, and they come out. Yeah. Along with, look, look what he says next in verse 13, and Hades gave up their dead along with their souls. Let me explain. Hades is known as the realm of the dead. Uh, it is the New Testament word for the Old Testament word sheol. Abode of the dead, same thing. So Hades in the New Testament, Sheol in the Old Testament, is that realm of the dead. It's the place where, where souls of unbelievers go after they die, after their soul leaves their physical body, and it's a place of suffering. It's, a, it's, it's part of hell. So understand that Hades now gave up its souls that were being held there. Let me explain a little more. Hades was basically a holding cells where the souls of un, all unbelievers who died were kept until this final judgment. Until this moment in what we're saying, the great what we're seeing, the great white judgment of God. Remember that account um, in Luke 16? It's not a parable, it's not just some analogy story, but about the rich man and the poor man Lazarus in Luke 16. Both died, the rich man and the poor man, right? Uh, and the rich man was tormented in Hades, while Lazarus was comforted in what we say the bosom of Abraham, right? And so this was before Jesus died and rose again from the dead. And so what's believed that this was a the bosom of Abraham was a temporary place for believers and saints of old in Jesus, in the Messiah, that they were held there. And once Jesus died and rose again, he took yeah, them into heaven with him. But there's this Hades compartment, we could say. And there, this was a place, there's a big chasm, remember, in this, in, in this account, between Abraham's bosom and there's a big gulf, and where the rich man was. In Hades, right, uh, they, he was suffering there, right? He was in torment. So Hades, I believe, is a portion of hell, kind of like a holding cell, maybe over at the police station. So, let me put these two things together. When these unbelievers are summoned to court, right, their bodies, wherever it was buried or deposited in the ocean or 
they're dust particles. Basically, it, 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 their actual bodies are reconstituted and then joined together with their souls where they were uh, held in Hades and they joined their bodies and uh, they were basically resurrected to face the judgment. Yeah? Brought together to face the judgment of God. And this is what is termed as the second resurrection. You remember, I think, uh, a few weeks ago when we, when we looked at verse 5, the first resurrection is the believer getting their glorified bodies. And I mentioned, well, is there a second one then? If there's a first, this is it. So this, that's the idea here, is that unbelievers get their bodies reconstituted, joins their soul, and stands before God in this second resurrection. I want to show you something Jesus said. Turn to the left to John, John chapter 5, John chapter 5. And um, it seems as though he mentions this idea of a first and second resurrection. John chapter 5, verse 28 and 29. John 5, 28, 29. It says in verse 28, do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life. That's the first resurrection. And those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. So, it seems wild here, seems crazy, but this is the way I believe it's going to happen. So, all these souls the with their resurrected bodies, these unbelieving souls, which, remember, God can do anything, right? God can do this. Now, it's back to Revelation 20. Now, they will be judged, verse 13, they were judged now, uh, each of them according to what they had done, according to the works those books showed, according to their merit. Once again, that that uh, uh deed is, is shown what according to the works there are evidence against them and I think I would say the ultimate deed really and maybe part of opening the book of life is their rejection of Jesus and that their names aren't in the book of life so here they are basically standing on their own merit you could say before God and no one can stand on their own merit so when the summons of all the dead brings them to court all unbelievers are solely judged according to their own merit since they rejected Jesus. That's the plain and, and sad fact here. Yeah. They stand on their own. The books are evidence and it's surely open to everyone to see their sins. Yeah. And so all unbelievers are solely judged according to their own merit since they rejected Jesus. You know, I think it's a sad thing when I hear someone say, well, I hope I make it to heaven. I hope the good Lord sees what I'm doing, yeah, or the man above, yeah. I think it's sad. In other words, what are they saying? I hope that I have enough good works to be able to make it into heaven after I die. But all good deeds... Ain't, cannot erase even one sin because as I mentioned God's standard is perfection yeah Paul said even uh, I think it was in Romans breaking one of the laws is breaking all of the laws right that one sin has already destined you to judgment and the consequences of that 
I always think about it this way. Think about how one bad egg, yeah, a rotten egg, mixed into a three-egg omelet with the other two eggs isn't going to make yeah, the omelet okay, right? We would never eat that. Well, there's two good ones against the one bad one. No way. It's, it's mixed in. It's tainted. So it is with the issue of sin in our life. And that's why we cannot save ourselves. That's why we need a Savior. That's why we need Jesus. So Christianity is not about getting good deeds done so we can get into heaven. But Christianity is all about getting Jesus into our life to atone for our sins that we could be saved by grace through faith. Amen? That's what it's about. So we see in this scene really come out that Hey, these unbelievers are standing there, you know, to their own merit, and they're not gonna, they're not gonna make it because they rejected Jesus and His blood, the atonement. Yeah, Christ's blood covers our sin, cleanses us. We get forgiven. We are made righteous because of Christ. That's how we get into heaven. That's the only way. Isaiah 53, 6 says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Did you hear that last line? The, the Lord has laid on him our iniquities. Think about that record book. Mine's pretty thick. You probably you know, ran out of room. There's another one. Yeah. Think about that book has been laid on his back, on him. Right on him when he died on the cross. He took upon himself my sin, our sins, and sacrificed himself. He was the one who paid that penalty in dying for us. If you never accepted Christ, if you never given your life to him, today is the time to do that. Today is the time to be saved. I mean, as we mentioned, I mean, the rapture could happen any moment. We could be hurled into the tribulation and you're going to be facing crazy things. And then the millennium. And then the great white throne judgment. You don't want to be under the judgment. You don't want to be one of the dead standing here before the Lord. This is the great white throne of judgment. All right, we've seen the supreme court of God, the summons of all the dead, and now number three, our last heading, the sentence to the final hell. The sentence to the final hell. Verse uh, uh, 14 and 15, uh, we're going to be covering this, and we might as well read both verses. It says here in Revelation 20, verse 14, Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire, and if anyone name was not found written in the book of life he was thrown into the lake of fire all right so again to get ready for this eternal age this eternal state that's coming in the next chapter god took these last echoes of of the domain of sin he took death which is what? The consequence of sin, right? He took Hades, right? Where you go from after the result of death. And he threw all of that into the lake of fire, the final hell. Why? No need anymore, right? We're going into this eternal state. 
There's, there's no more in this eternal state. There's no more sin. There's no more sin nature. All of that's going to be gone. Everyone's going to have glorified bodies. It'll be all righteousness, scriptures tell us in the Old Testament. It'll be all, all holy. It'll be God, living with God, with him. See, there's no need for the consequences of sin anymore, death. There's no need for Hades, a holding place for the death. The only thing that will really be there is the final hell, the lake of of fire. But as we move on, none of those things are in play. Now, with this, as we bring up the lake of fire, uh, I don't know if you notice throughout even our studies in Revelation, I've mentioned the bottomless pit and now Hades, and we talked about the lake of fire a little bit, you know, in some past studies. But what is all this, you know? And I've generally told you and just called it, well, this is hell. Because I, I wanted to wait till we come to this part in Revelation to explain a little more. What I see is that they are different compartments, so to speak, of what we call overall hell. Now, first, we saw the bottomless pit. It was mentioned in Revelation 9, 11, 17, even in this chapter at the beginning. And I mentioned uh, the bottomless, bottomless pit is the abyss, right? Um, it, 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 we saw when the demons were released from there. So what the bottomless pit, what the abyss is, is actually basically a prison for angels. A prison for angels. I mentioned that back in Revelation 9, but just to remind you. And that's why uh, the, the, the key, you know, had the, the angel had the key, opened it up, all these demons went out, right? In the, I think it was a trumpet judgment. And then uh, in Revelation 20, right, we know that Satan was was um, held there during the thousand years in the um, millennium, 20 verse 1, we saw. So Satan was imprisoned there. Uh, so this was bottomless pit is a pr- basically a prison for angels. Hades now is that holding cell for unbelieving souls who died, right, not believing in Jesus. And I just talked about that. So you have the bottomless pit. And that's kind of like a holding cell, a prison for angels. Uh, there's Hades, that's holding cell for unbelievers, the souls of unbelievers. And now we're mentioned here is the lake of fire. This is really the final hell. This is where Satan is at this time in our timeline. Remember at the end of the uh, millennium, he came and fought and Jesus took him and threw him into the lake of fire. That's the final hell. That's the final prison here. That's where the Antichrist and the false prophet were thrown into at the end of the battle of Armageddon at the end of Revelation 19 and most likely, of course, the rest of the demons and, and all the fallen angels are there. So, the lake of fire is that final hell and this final hell I believe just as the other places but this will be a place of extreme suffering Jesus talked about hell alluding to Gehenna uh, as the New Testament word he used which was actually a rubbish dump southwest of Jerusalem their trash was burned 24-7 the fire never went out so Jesus said in Matthew 18:8, he called Gehenna hell the eternal fire in Matthew 9:44, Jesus said, "The worm dies not." There, it was known there, and Gehenna, that trash dump, the rubbish dump, was maggots all over the place. And then in Luke 13:28, uh, Jesus said that Gehenna is a place of, of na- weeping and gnashing of teeth, talking about suffering and just uh, grinding your teeth. 
Did you know, just a, a little side thought, that Jesus talked of hell more than heaven? Why was that? Because he doesn't want us to go there. That's why. He wants us, he wants us to be saved from that. All right, so John tells us of this lake of fire. And it's also, notice he says here in verse 14, this is the second death, the lake of fire. Well, what does that mean, the second death? What, what is that? Well, verse 15, he, he explains, if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, right? And book of life is a red ro- roster of the saved people. He was thrown into the lake of fire. So let's put this together with what we just saw in the uh, previous section, right? That when uh, the souls, yeah, of, of the unbelievers, or let's say, let's back up. When the unbelievers die physically, their soul goes to Hades, right? So that's the first death. And then at the white throne judgment, their souls taken up, their bodies are taken up, they're joined together, judged before God. And then they're cast into the lake of fire, the final hell. And you know what? They die again. I, I feel like that, that means they're separated from that body. It turns into dust. It's gone. And their soul will burn in fire. Some commentators say um, that perhaps this resurrect, second resurrected, resurrection, that the unbeliever's resurrected body is actually a body that's made for hell. I, I don't know. Could be. But I tend to feel like since the first death, death is when our, our soul is separated from our physical body, right? I think the second death would mean that this resurrected body of unbelievers and joined together their soul before the white throne, they're, thrown, uh, they're killed again, separated from this body, and then their soul burns now. So I, um, we'll know later <laughs> when, when we see it all. Yeah, but we're not going to be part of that, yeah? So just to say the second death is where unbelievers will suffer for eternity. The sentence to the final hell is really here for these people who rejected Jesus. These, this is the consequences. Can, can you imagine, I mean, the ones who mocked Jesus on the cross, standing there before God, facing this judgment, then thrown into the fire? The ones who said Jesus is not God, standing before God now, the Lord God Jesus, the ones who said there is no God, and here's the creator of the universe, the ones who persecuted Christians, who ridiculed, rejected, uh, uh, did everything they can to get Jesus out of society, yeah, maybe uh, even um, abuse children of God and servants, they're standing before their Savior, the ones who use the name of Jesus as a cuss word, I was thinking about that, you know, and they know this is Jesus right there. So I was thinking perhaps the weeping and gnashing of teeth is really going to be in an eternity of regret. Yeah. Not just what we believe is a physical pain of suffering, but also an eternity of regret for not believing when they had the chance. So our last point is this when this when the sentence to the final hell is heard all unbelievers will face the consequences of rejecting Jesus, and that is to spend eternity in hell. There's a saying that goes like this, if you're born twice, you die once. But if you're born once, you will die twice. Do you get it? If you're 
if, if you give your life to Jesus, you, you're born again, right? John chapter 3. Yeah? You have had a physical birth and then a spiritual birth. You are born twice. And then you only die once, the physical death, and then you have your glorified bodies. But if you reject Jesus and the atonement for your sins, you'll be born once, the physical birth, and experience death twice. The first physical death, you know, from this world, and, and then the second death to the lake of fire. So we've been informed. What are we to do now? What are we to do with Jesus? We have choices here. Yeah? You can choose to reject what he said. Say, no, I'm not going to do it. But no, you will face the consequences written here. You can, there's another choice. You can choose not to believe. I don't believe this is true. I don't believe it. But know this, even if you don't believe it, it doesn't mean it's not going to happen. It doesn't mean it's not true because you don't believe it. It's still going to happen whether you believe it or not. But there's a third choice, and I think this is the best option, is to believe in Jesus Christ. Is to accept Him into your heart and, and accept that atonement, His work on the cross when He died for our sins. So what are we going to do? <laughs> this is the truth, what we're looking at. We're going to accept Jesus. Now, may, maybe you're thinking, or maybe you guys even, you Christians have even, believers have gotten questions like, how could a God of love send anyone to hell? Well, first of all, God never meant this final hell for a place for people to go. Really, he didn't. Matthew 25, 41, says, uh, Jesus says, Then he shall say to those on his death, Depart from me, you curse, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his Angel. So we have seen originally, yeah, I mean, we, we have seen already Satan, the Antichrist, false prophet, throne, right? Secondly, God is really offering to all of us everything you need to not go to hell for eternity. But you know what? People chose their sin over what God offers. John 3:19 Jesus said and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. Yeah. You see God does not send people to hell. People choose. They actually choose to go to hell. How? Because when they choose their sin over Jesus. When 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 they choose that they want to do what they want to do. And I'm not going to believe. Or, oh, yeah, but I reject it. You know, on it. That's their choice. And what does a holy God, a righteous God have to do? He has to judge sin. Now, I know this is heavy topic. And it's not the uh, uh, greatest thing to come on a Sunday morning and, oh, preacher, talked about hell, hell, you know. kind of. This is the one of those hellfire and brimstone things. But I want to end with this thought. This is God really reaching out to you. And it, it wasn't like my choice. Uh, I know who's coming to church, so I'm going to talk about hell. You know? it's, it's where we happen to be in our studies, right? In Revelation. Yeah. But I want, I, I want you to know that in this truth we study, in understanding what's going to happen in this great white throne judgment, I want you to understand that it's God giving us this information ahead of time because he's reaching out in love. He's, he's putting out on the table before all of us what the reality of the destiny is going to be of this world, 
of, of people who reject Jesus. It's the reality of that, of what is going to happen. And he's saying that because he wants to get our attention. He wants to see that, look, I, I, I'm holy, I'm righteous. I got to judge sin one day. But right now, you have a chance to embrace the truth, give your heart to Jesus, and, and there's atonement for your sin. And that's Jesus. So that's what God is doing right now. I'll close with this. It's an old story that Pastor Chuck once told. This farmer was walking home one day along the railroad tracks. Um, He was going home. Evening was approaching. He lit his lantern, and he was walking along when he came to a section of the track where the rail was split and broken. He looked at his watch and realized that a train with several hundred passengers heading towards Chicago would be passing by in a few minutes. He knew, he knew if the train hit that broken section of tracks, many people would lose their lives. So he started running down the tracks, running toward where the train was coming. Uh, and, and, and he started swinging his lamp. After a while, he, he could hear the whistle, so he's swinging his lamp, trying to get the attention of the engineer there. He, he, he kept running, he kept running. He tried to, even though he was tired, he kept trying to get the attention. Finally, he saw the light, the headlight of the train as it approached. He, 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 he was running down the middle of the tracks, rushing toward the train, waving that lantern, but the train wasn't stopping. Well, towards the last moments of the train approaching him as he was on the tracks, he jumped aside, and as he jumped aside and a train went past, he threw his lantern through the cab of the locomotive and hit the engineer right in his face. It was a good throw. The engineer then pulled on the brakes and and the wheels, you know, through fire, and the whole thing, the train was brought to a halt just a few feet before the broken rail. That's what God is doing. As we're studying this passage, some of you are heading toward that destruction of the great white throne judgment. And God is hitting a square in the face with the reality of that. But at the same time, the gospel of Jesus Christ. He wants to stop you from that path you're on, that, that, that dash, that the direction you're going to help. He wants you to put the brakes on, stop, and receive Jesus. Because he doesn't want this to happen to you. He wants to save you from this judgment to come. Before you're face to face with the holy God in the great white throne judgment. Let's pray. God, I pray for anyone right here right now, God, or anyone connected online, Lord, that never receive Jesus Christ, that this would be the moment. God, as as they've been listening in, they know they're headed down that road of destruction. You said, why, Lord, is that path toward destruction? But narrow is the gate to you, God. But this is the gate we must pass through. We must go through, and that is you, Jesus, to be saved from our sins. So, Lord, I pray for anyone here right now, God, that they would just just pray a simple prayer like this. Dear Jesus, forgive me of my sins. I believe in you. I believe you died on a cross for my sins and rose again from the dead. Cleanse me. I accept you into my heart and I give you my life. Make me a new creation. And I pray the Holy Spirit will come upon me now. 
In Jesus' name, amen. It's as simple as that. It's just giving your heart to God, giving it from your heart. So I hope you all will do that if you never have. I hope no matter where you, your, your life is right now, how you're living it, that you would change. Yeah. Because Jesus Christ is coming back soon. Things are going to get a whole lot worse, worse than what's going on in Ukraine. But Jesus, most of all, wants to save us, forgive us, yeah, and help us today. Let's uh, all stand and worship the Lord.